Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. There was once a lady out in Felsmere, and she had a Tupperware party. See, I'm already, see, it's already relevant. It's already, I'm already hitting home. And at this Tupperware party, some ladies came, and the, the lady who hosted the party had all of her Tupperware out, and they said, thanks, but no thanks, we're just here to gossip. She went, okay, okay. And then another group of ladies came in, and they said, we would love, we would love to add this Tupperware to our collection, but our husbands actually said not to come home if we came home with any Tupperware. And the lady hosting said, okay. And then a group of ladies came in, and they had cash in their hand, and they bought all the Tupperware, and everyone rejoiced. I'm going to get in a boat and go across the pond, and I'm going to go to John Conlon's house and take a nap. You guys are dismissed. And that's how Jesus ended that service in in Matthew 13, and that's the weirdest thing in the world to me. And I just want to let you know, this is where we're at in modern parables. So um, this is amazing to me that Jesus, and the reason why I'm setting this precedence for you guys, is that Jesus does a really weird way of confronting people with a very loud impact, but with not a lot in their face. It's very indirect. It really challenges the heart, but I want to challenge you inside of everything that you are facing inside of the church and outside of the church in your ministry, and make no mistake, every single one of you has a ministry. Every single one of you is in charge of your ministry. Every single one of you is a steward over your ministry. But God is going to set an expectation, specifically Jesus, through these stories to help you understand what your part is to play. And I think, and this is my personal take, is that he makes it very, very easy through these stories. I think we can overthink it. We can get caught up and maybe, like, maybe I'm not doing enough, or we look at numbers, or we look at, you know, how I did with the lady in the parking lot of Publix, and I fumbled over my words. That's not our concern. We're going to see what our concern is, and we're going to see the expectation that Jesus sets for you as a partner in the ministry. Um, I always love this, too, because at this time when I was learning about parables, parables are actually really hard to teach through because there's so much that you can go through, and you don't feel like you have enough time. But Jesus said it all, like in a tiny story, got in a boat, and then like went away. And then disciples had to chase him down to find out exactly what he was talking about. Now, what I want to encourage you, because we are at the end of Matthew 13, you guys are in the position of the disciples, and I'll, I'll take you through that, because you are the ones seeking out more. But one thing I want to just share with you, this is really kind of awesome. Uh, Rachel and I used to do a Bible study on Thursdays over at the high school. And what was really amazing is I was just learning parables at the time, and I was really trying to get my head around. I'm like, this is really awesome. You just got to tell a story, and people just like either love you or hate you, but you know, you get a huge reaction out of it, and that's awesome for high schoolers. And so I started doing things like I was like trying to tell relevant stories, just like the Tupperware story. I told a Bitcoin story to the teenagers, and they totally got it. And then we were inside of a Bible, and I had another pastor go, Joey, we have to use the frame of the reference of the teen Bible. And every single chapter ended with, the moral of the story is. But that's when the teenagers rebelled, and I made a huge mistake. I never had a moral at the end of my story like Jesus. And then they said to the, to the guy that was running it, can we get rid of these Bibles? We like the way Joey does it. He has no morals. So that's my legacy for the Thursday Bible study. So that's who you are learning from tonight. So tonight we're going to mull over some of Jesus's, uh, you know, his points, his stories. He sets a clear and concise expectation for you and a direction. But what's really kind of interesting for me is it's very fair and balanced in his approach. We can kind of overshoot what we think the church should be doing, and we can kind of undershoot And Jesus calibrates in one story. So what we're going to do is read this together. It's the parable of the net. It's the parable of the net. By the way, uh, has anyone ever actually heard a teaching on the parable of the dragnet? That's what I thought. It's going to be a lot of firsts for all of us tonight. Has anyone heard uh, a teaching on the parable of the sower or the soils? Yeah. So Chris is here, but Pastor David, he takes the soils and then he ditches me and goes to Africa. <laughs> not a problem, not a problem. This is my first time teaching you. This might be your first time hearing it. 
but it's my privilege to go through it. It's amazing. This is the very end, and this is Jesus with his disciples. And he says in verse 47, if you could follow along with me, it says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. And then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus looked at them and said, have you understand all these things? Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, pause for personal reflection, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like an owner of a house who brings out his storeroom of new treasures as well as old. Continuing on, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved from there, coming to his hometown. He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and this miraculous power, they said? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, and Simon and Judas? And aren't all his sisters with us? When they did this, a man get when they did this, man get all these things. When did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his own home. And he did, and he did not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. Let's pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you and I praise you that today is your day and we'll rejoice that you have a good word for us. Lord, help me move out of the way. Let the Holy Spirit rule and reign in this teaching and help everyone that came here hungry for living water and living bread. They will find it. And all of God's children said, amen. One of kind of the most amazing things about this, and this is kind of seem kind of like a layered teaching to Pastor Dave's last teaching, because Pastor Dave did a really great job with fake Christianity of displaying what were the guidelines that God was saying for fake Christianity. And so you're going to hear some of the same, uh, same things, because this is like a, a redundancy on the story, but Jesus is driving home a point. And I want you to follow through with your participation in it. So it says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. Now, at this particular place, it's pretty amazing. I actually saw kind of the area that they were at. There's this bay, this huge bay that comes out in the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is just like a Tupperware party, just referencing something that they're seeing right there. There's men with dragnets. There was no rod and reels at all. There was no like, I'll find a shady spot where the big fish are. It was specifically, I'm going to drag this net across the bottom and whatever we get, we get. Good fish, carp, catfish. Jews are not allowed to have catfish. We're going to get them. Old Roman boots, license plates from chariots. Whatever we get, we're going to drag it, but it's indiscriminate. It's indiscriminate. And the church has that kind of a role. And if you look at all the other parables that were brought before it, the parables were laid like this. Like there was a man who sowed wheat in a field and then came the enemy and he sowed the tares. God is clearly lining this up for you. In church, not everyone is gonna be rosy. Not everyone's gonna be perfect. Some are gonna be good fish and gonna be bad fish. You're gonna have to deal with it. That's part of it. That's part of the process and I wanted to put it there, our mindset, if this is what Jesus is laying down to us, that when we cast our net, as we cast our net with the church, think of it, outreaches, day of compassion, whatever we do, and our net should be broadcast. Our net should be sent out with mercy, not judgment. Because when we are caught up in this same net, the reason why we are decided as the songs that we just sang is by the mercy and the blood of Jesus Christ that we are selected as good fish. There's nothing that we brought to the table there's nothing that we brought to the table. When I get to the, the gates of heaven, the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that I bring. And it's not even mine. It's a blessing and a gift from God. So the kingdom of heaven is explained this way. And I just want to put this in your mind. So we are part of this kingdom of heaven. It's the rule, let me put it up there, the rule and reign of our redeemer king. This is very awesome moment for the disciples because the disciples are catching up with Jesus at somebody's house to follow up with a critique on him because everybody came in the beginning of Matthew 13 to find out if Jesus is truly the Messiah, the Messiah that they thought. 
the Messiah that I thought up, the Messiah that I think I need. So when are you going to kick Rome out? Why does this guy keep telling these weird stories about Tupperware? I want to know when he's kicking Rome out. This is, the great, this is the great rabbi that I'm looking for. He's not the rabbi that I thought he would be. But see, God is coming back to reestablish a kingdom. And I want to give you like a, just a, a mindset of what a kingdom looks like for Jesus. A kingdom looks like for God. In the cool of the evening, Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. Before they lost their righteousness and they were given to work that was not hard. And they were given to childbirth that was not painful. And they lived in the ever-glowing presence of God. There wasn't really a shadow. It was called, at the time in Israel, the shadowless king. I get to experience the shadowless king one day. And that is what God is working towards. And that is what we're bringing in the church. Our experience is this. I do not deserve to walk with the king, but the king came and found me and walked with me and dragged me up in his net. Um, we kind of talked about this, just kind of set of a precedence for you. Uh, I heard a, somebody gave me a teaching of an old-time preacher, and he said, grace is really, really like uh, you're in this current, you're in this boat, and you're in this current, and you're getting dragged to hell. And God looked down on you. These are the old-timey, you know, with the organ in the background, and the, he's shouting. And he's like, and the Lord threw you oars. But that's you rowing. And that's you getting tired. And that's you making mistakes. But I just want to challenge you in this. The foundation of the life that we build, the kingdom of heaven is the reestablishment and the incarnation of the spirit in our heart. It looks like this. That current was dragging you to heaven. You rebelliously were trying to go the other way. And Jesus was not satisfied to let you keep going. He kept dragging you. And you say, how do you know that? Well, because you sinned. And who took you back? And who rebelled? Me. And who gave you a second chance? And who went to the cross? And who fought you know, the, the forces of evil in hell? Who closed the grave for the righteous? Jesus Christ. That current is dragging you like this dragnet all the way to heaven. It's you that's running the other way. And Jesus is saying, who's going to be caught up is the people that accept this truth in me that I am good. Remember what he said to Pontius Pilate? I am good. Those who are on the side of me are on the side of truth. The truth is we only have one savior. We only have one king. We are not sightseers in this thing called Christianity. We are citizens. And as citizens, we have a different duty. And we're going to talk about that duty. First one is that we would you know, cast the, the, the net wide. But the, here's the thing that I always like to do in this particular setting is this. Talking about good and bad fish. This is kind of like, kind of amazing. If you go back into the wheats and the tares, verses 24 through 30, wherever the king, wherever the good man is working, wherever the farmer is working, so is the enemy. I want you to just be sober and aware that as Jesus is working in here, so is the evil one. And that's a problem for us because we struggle with it. We struggle and we struggle and we struggle with it in other people and we want to eradicate evil. That's part of the thing. Like, I want to get rid of evil. Some of us even feel what we consider righteous anger, but we are not, we're not in the position to judge. We are not in that final position. The enemy is working in the same place, but God has said this, I want the yeast and the bread and everybody to affect each other. There's going to be good fish, there's going to be bad fish. There's going to be wheat, there's going to be tares. Expect it. Any time that we try to, in our own power, remove the wheat or remove the tares from the wheat, we uproot the roots of the good wheat. And Jesus said, I'm not ready yet. And praise the Lord that he has not done that. Because the good go with the bad when you rip up the tares, you rip up the roots. That means revelations. That means apocalypse. That means the only way that God's going to reestablish his kingdom is one, he's going to bathe this world of fire, but he's going to reestablish his kingdom in our hearts with righteousness and judgment as a people that will never return to that sin. Amen? This is a church that is headed towards this. From the Garden of Eden to our confession of Jesus Christ to heaven, we are headed to this. One perfect king. And his words are decreed and our hearts listen, and we are crowned in his righteousness. So when we're looking at that, I want you to put this in, the, in, your, in your mind. When you're looking at the idea 
of what our king is made of or how he is the person that decides who the judge. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore, the only level, the only bar of righteousness that we have in this entire conversation is Jesus. There's only one. Think about that. There's only one person who can judge. We can judge the bad. I know a bad person when I see him. I know someone that's stinky, stinky attitude got a little too much sass. I can identify them. Can I truthfully identify the righteous person? No one but Jesus Christ can. Because he was the only one that did, know, did not know sin, that became sin. So this is what we do as citizens. We're not sightseers. We're not passing through. We as citizens, we know how to honor our judge. We know how to honor the Lord, our judge. Final judgment is his. Final judgment is his and his alone. And why is that important? That means when I walk into this place, I still broadcast indiscriminately. I still send out with mercy, not judgment. I am in this position. I am the same sinner as each and every one of you. I'm forgiven. I hope you partake in that forgiveness too. And we should carry on this way. There are good and bad fish in here. Ministry doesn't go out on outreach. Ministry happens in here. Ministry happens in the edification of the church. Ministry happens in the, in the pointing of the person. We can provoke people to good works. We can't judge them. We can't condemn them. We may be able to slightly convict them, and we're not even good at that. Only Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something really fantastic about Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave has a gift that I don't have, discernment. You know who else says that? Jackie. Jackie has discernment. She can walk in a room and be like, oh my gosh, this guy over here, he's sinning so bad. I'm like, he's a Dolphin fan. He's great. What are you talking about? <laughs> And she just knows. She just has that gift of discernment. She can just look at the person and say, I don't have it. But even as good as Pastor David and as good as Jackie is, they pale in comparison to the depth and the piercing of the heart that Jesus can do with a look. With a look. Look at this, verse 49. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into a blazing furnace. Well, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to read one verse for you, or actually two verses, Romans 3.22. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Remember we said we're standing or we're sitting in a boat that's being dragged towards heaven in his grace. I just have to let him take me in that grace. I have to be obedient to not rebel and just let him show me the direction. And it becomes very freeing. It becomes very alleviating, doesn't it? becomes very alleviating when I let him be judge. The righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith, that's it. There is no difference because for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Who's in your boat? Who's in your boat? That's a challenge for me. I can get ahead of God. I can start rowing. I can start doing a bunch of things. You know where I end up? Very, very aggravated, very, very tired, very, very exhausted. And then I look over at Jesus and he goes, let me start the motor and I'll get us to where we need to go. And I'm like, oh, you had a motor this whole time? And he's like, yeah, it's called grace. You know, it's kind of the most uh, a fantastic thing is as people that honor the judge, I want to ask you this. If it wasn't for the judgment of Jesus Christ, where would you be today? And I want to challenge that with, a, with, a, with an opposite. If it was for the judgment of the people in this church, where would you be today? There was a kid that came into my youth group uh, a long time ago. And for some reason, our youth group, uh, the power went out. So they marched us all over to the sanctuary. And I remember this kid came late because he, he was looking for the youth group area. He's looking for the signs. They're all off. It's dark. You know, that, that section of the wing of the building. And so he came in. And I remember... He came in with such a huff because he had so many piercings in his face, he jingled like a reindeer. And I just remember being like, wow, like there's piercings and then there's like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, like you're showing up here. And he had piercings and tattoos. And I'll never forget this. The reason why this sticks out is he had a tattoo of in and out on his ears. And I thought that was the funniest thing. And a deacon saw him go to the front row and sit down. And he just crossed his arms and he listened to the sermon and the deacon made a beeline for him, ripped off his hat and said, son, you belong in the back row. Now I remember, you, you had that reaction too. I was like, well, this might be a cool kid for a youth group. What are you doing? Like 
He's going to make, I'm going to point to him from my mom. Look at, at least I'm not this kid, right? Like I'm already starting to do the judgment. Like bring this kid into youth group. All of our, all of our stocks are going to go up. And so like, we're trying to get this kid in. The deacon walked him in the back row. The kid put on his hat. He sighed deeply. He didn't have an attitude and he walked out. Now, I just want to encourage you in this, in the judgment of the church versus the judgment of your Jesus Christ, your honorable judge. That kid showed up at a different youth group a couple weeks later. I know because I got invited. And I went there and I'm shooting pool with, you know, before service. They had these, this is a really cool youth group with arcades and no judgment, no judgment-free zone signs everywhere. And there he is. He got saved that week. The next week, he's a youth leader. A couple weeks later, 60 kids got saved on an outreach that he was a part of that he led. And I think about that deacon and I think about his new youth group. And then I think about this verse. It's kind of amazing. If you look back, oh, where is this? Verse seven or eight. And still other seeds fell on good soil where it's produced a crop 160, 30 times what it was sown. One seed was planted in one good soil, no matter what the surface looked like, and 60 kids got saved. It's right there in the Bible verse. And where was his heart? Completely wrapped around the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it was fertile soil. What's amazing about this area, I told you there's that bay. That, this is a little side note, a little trip to Israel. There's a bay. There's this rocky soil that goes up on either side of the bay where the people would sit, and Jesus would be in the boat, and he's talking. And there's these little patches of soil, and you can't really know. You can't really know how good the soil is. You just have to take a bunch of seed and jam it into whatever you think the soil is. Where, you know, this, it's in the rock. There's these little patches of what looks like. You don't know the depth. You don't know what kind of a pot it is down there. And you just overseed, 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 overseed. Here, 25% was the only one that took hold. But look, 30, 60, and 100 fold. I, I did the math somewhere. That comes to about 5,000 if you add all that up. One particular launch of seeds that could go into one patch of soil can produce 5,000 seeds of wheat when that 25% goes. And I just want to share this in your heart, how you're dealing with people as a person that's part of the dragnet. For every day for three years, my brother was hurting. I don't know, he was in a deep depression. He was somewhere, I don't know what was happening. I hit him so hard over the head with the Bible, literally and metaphorically. I just, I pounded the Bible. I judged him. I yelled at him. And one day the Lord said, will you let me get in his boat and drive the boat of grace? And I said, okay. And he goes, I'm the judge. Would you let me judge? I'll be the judge. And I went, okay. I don't know what you see in him. This is my brother I'm talking about in my head to the Lord as I'm praying. I don't know what you see in him. He goes, why don't you try my way? Why don't you let me judge and you love? Some of you guys saw him here last week. He drove my mom to church. He goes 830 service every day. I mean, every Sunday he goes with my mom to church. Drives her. We don't miss mom. We don't miss but it was the moment that I let the Lord judge and not me judge. It was the moment that the church was not judging that kid with the earrings and the jingles all over his face. That 60 came in. Now my brother's inviting people left and right at work to church. The drag net has one purpose, to indiscriminately drag forward, and that's what we're a part of, and that's our legacy, because guess what? We got dragged up in the drag net. So I just want to encourage you in this. What does that look like for a bad fish. So we looked at the good fish, right? Now let's look at the bad fish. I want to give you my best example of the bad fish, my best friend in the Bible, Peter. Matthew 16, verse 15, Jesus is talking to him and he says, but what about you, Peter? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you but, uh, by man, but by my Father in heaven. Matthew 16, 19. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was Christ. And from that time, he began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders chief priests and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter, my man, never let me down, says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. We'll never have Easter. 
And uh, Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have uh, in mind the things of God, but the things of men. A bad fish looks like an ungodly attitude in the realm of the king making decrees in his kingdom where he only has the authority to make that decree. You didn't get saved by your own salvation. You don't breathe your own breath. You don't have your own blessing. You don't have your own sanctification. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit in you that you even receive grace and move forward. The only thing that you bring is the blood of Jesus Christ that's been afforded to you. And you, and I'm gonna point my finger at me in this, have come into this church and said this to God, no, this is not how we're doing it. This is not the person we're reaching. Don't talk to my brother that way. Praise the Lord that I don't have authority. Praise the Lord that he's the judge. Praise the Lord that we have been looking at both wheat and tares at the same time. And God said, let's be patient a little bit longer. Let's be a patient, patient farmer a little bit longer. I don't want to disturb the growth yet. Amen to that. This is what an ungodly attitude looks like in a, in a godly kingdom. The, the kid with the backwards hat, he doesn't belong here. I really want to keep the church small. God shows up and goes, I'm going to knock these walls out. How dare you, Lord? I like my friendly attitude. I like my, like, it's warm. We drink coffee together. The church is here to serve me, not me serve the church. In essence, that's what Peter was saying to Jesus. Do what I want. Serve me. I don't want you to go. But Jesus had to go, right? He had to go. Uh, this reminds me of this. I saw this, uh, if you guys do like 60 Minutes in Dateline, this is really incredible. There's this article of this guy. This is so fantastic. He buys a condo in one of these living, these living cities that go out on the ocean and they drive around, but it's like a million dollars, right? You buy, you buy a space and you can live there and you eat there and they pull in the port, but they go really, really slow, but you can see the world from your house. And uh, so this guy spends a million dollars and he goes to the maintenance crew and he goes, I need all these tools. And they're like, well, I mean, you're a guy that owns a million dollar condo. I guess you can have it. Next thing you know, in the metal, in the walls, people hear smack, pound, you know, and all the people are starting to get freaked out because it's vibrating everywhere. And they're like, what is going on? And so all the workers start putting their ears to the door, I mean, to the walls, right? And they follow it to his door and they open up the door and he's got a jackhammer and he's going at the wall. And they go, what are you doing? He goes, putting in a window. They're like, you're below sea level. <laughs> how many times do we come into the church with a jackhammer and tell God how we would like to set up the windows? Once again, I say, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord that he doesn't listen to me. Hebrews 10, 26 says this, if we deliberately keep sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. That hurt me like a spear. I'm going to say that to you one more time. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Think about Jesus Christ on the cross. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now listen to this. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant, thus sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? It's an abuse of grace. I'm going to raise my hand. I don't want you guys to, unless you feel really confident. Who's abused grace? Listen to this. For we know, he said this, it is mine to avenge and I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Uh, the Lord gave me that Bible devotion the day after I started loving on my brother. And I'll never forget that Bible verse. It's a dreadful thing for you to fall into the hands of the Lord. <sighs> but there's a silver lining, 2 Timothy 4.8. And I want you to hear the participation of a citizen, not a sightseer, not a person passing through. Now this is in store for me, the crown of righteousness. I just want you to think about the rebellion. I want to think about all the times Jesus gave you second chances and he stands before you now and raises up a crown and puts it on you. It's a little bit easier to sit back in the boat of grace now, isn't it? 
Citizens take their identity from their king. Citizens take their identity from their king. I have a blessed assurance that I'm a good fish because I'm aligned with the good God who came to save me and sent his son because he saw that it was good. I am only the redeemed because my king says so. And I only wear a crown because he gave it to me. And it's so easy for us to kind of miss this because we can want to like roll up our sleeves and grab that kid in the front row and drag him to the back row. We can kind of want to do it to ourselves in the mirror. We can do it to our own failures. And yet Jesus is standing in front of you and saying, who are you to decide who I give my crown of righteousness to? I give it to you. I give it to you. How are you going to act moving forward? Listen to this. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me one day, not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. There is going to be an end. The tares are going to be sown. The enemy is going to watch his bad wheat grow up. You know, the weeds with the wheat. He's going to see the bad fish and the good fish. It's all going to be there. Calibrate it. Get used to it. Get used to them sitting next to you in the pews. Do we even say pews anymore? That's weird that I said that. I got caught up. <laughs> but it's because of this that we know that God is establishing the kingdom of God in us. Because we've received the spirit, the kingdom of God is the salvation that we display to people, right? So this is how we, we maneuver. There's people out there rowing their boat at night, exhausted, looking at us going, what's different? Not only are you in a boat of grace, you got a crown. What's going on over there? Jesus Christ, that's what's going on. That's what's going on. Yeah, but how do I know? I know this way. Hebrews 2.3, we escaped a great salvation because we didn't ignore it. This salvation was first announced by my Lord. I want to read it to you like how they heard it. By my master, my Lord, my king, who confirmed it when we heard him. Has anyone ever heard the call for you to come home? If you haven't heard that call, I want to give you the opportunity to come and pray so that we do hear that call because the call is coming out of my voice right now. Jesus Christ is calling all that hear his name. But if you've heard the name of Jesus Christ, you are wearing that crown and you are moving forward. You are the redeemed. You were ruled by the king and what he says go. Citizens rejoice because our king has chosen us. Amen. Amen. Praise be to the God who looked at us, looked at Peter and didn't give up. Can you imagine if that was the end of Peter's story? I'm going to be honest with you. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I don't know if I would ever came back. I'm going to be honest with you. They'd be like, Joey, where are you? I'm like, well, he called me Satan, so I'm out. <laughs> There's no coming back from that. And yet, where was Jesus? Time and time and time pursuing Peter in his rejection, in his rebellion. And it's kind of amazing to me that the fisherman became a shepherd. Isn't that kind of interesting? You know, sometimes we, we go on mission trips, especially Jamaica. We went to a trip, mission trip in Jamaica. There, I, I got to, like, preach on a Sunday. First, I got to preach at one church that was good at evangelism, and then I got to preach at a church that was good at shepherding. And it didn't start out that way in the morning. It was like, hey, the Americans are here. Hey, you want to teach tomorrow? And I was like, not really. Good, you're on at 8 o'clock. Oh, by the way, cross town. You'll be over there at noon. You know, it was like that. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll teach it. But it was interesting to me the response that I got from the people. You had one that was just trying to broadcast the news, broadcast the news. The blood of Jesus Christ is yours. The blood of Jesus Christ is yours. And then I got to the shepherding church and they're like, it's not, if they reject us, that's fine, whatever. I just want to work inside the church. I want to work inside the church. And I felt like Jesus Christ was standing in the intersection between the two churches going, when are these two going to become one? in their hearts, not in the church, not in the facility. When are these two going to become one? What are they going to put on their crown of righteousness? Go broadcast the good news and shepherd those. And you see that at the end of Peter's life when Jesus never gave up. Jesus, feed my sheep. I mean, Peter came and said, Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You know what's kind of interesting in this, and this is kind of a funny story. Uh, when we look at the parable of the pearl, the parable of the pearl is really fantastic to me because some of you guys know I'm a history nerd. Um, Cleopatra really was part of the problem of the price of pearls at the time around Jesus' life, right? So the price of pearls was through the roof. It was like there was a limited amount of actual pure pearls, pure pearls. That's really hard to say, pure pearls. I wonder if Jesus did that during his parables. Um, so he said he had pure pearls. They had culture, they had cultured pearls, cultured pearls, and they would crush them and you would open them up and you would see the dark heart 
of a, of a cultured pearl because it didn't live the life. It didn't go through natural things. They filtered specific kind of waters and got it going, and it wasn't a real pearl. It showed up in the same spots, in the same markets, in the same merchants, but a real good merchant would be able to look at it and go, that doesn't have what we call knacker. And knacker is what the pearl is. And when you see a lady with a nice set of pearls, those are usually the ones that have knacker all the way through it, no dark heart. And we love to, in the church, make fun of Peter for all of his stumbling and mistakes. And I just picture Jesus, like, be real, be real. If Peter was here right now, I don't know how many times Albert in safety and security would march Peter out. <laughs> Let's be real. Peter was here, I don't know how many times we'd be filling out reports. I, you did it again, huh, Peter? I don't know how many times Jesus would look at us and go, but have you seen the pearl of his heart? Have you seen how pure it is? You see what I'm going to do with him? If you look through his heart, are you going to see with him? I think that's the mistake that we make in the church is we don't look through the heart of the person and see it the way Jesus sees it. So Mark, Anthony, and Cleopatra were having this moment. And I just bring this in because this is the, this is the part of the pearl that really drives it home for you. Uh, so Cleopatra said to Mark Anthony, I'm going to make a bet with you. I bet I can make the most expensive dinner you've ever seen. And he said, I'll call you on that bet. So they both planned two different dinners. And she had her first dinner, and it was lavish, but it wasn't anything out of the norm. It's just a Roman dinner, right? So she's, like, she's got all these fancy foods and everything. And then at the very end, they bring out two chalices and two pearls, and they put it in front of Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. And she takes a heavy hammer like rock and smashes her pearl, puts it in the water, drinks it, looks at him, and she goes, your call. Now, let me give you the, the forced perspective on this in Jesus' story. From what I understand, that particular pearl, which was an actual real pearl, a pure pearl, had knacker all the way through. She did that crush on purpose, one, to swallow it, but two, to show everybody how much it was worth. And in showing how everybody was worth, it was worth 1,657 denarii. By our money today, at that rate, $30 million dollars. She said, this is a $30 million drink. A $30 million drink. And I picture this. This is just my little movie's time. I picture Jesus looking at Peter and going, and that is, that's your heart. I don't care what people see on the surface. The knacker goes all the way through. The Jesus Christ, the truth that's grabbing a hold, goes all the way through. I know you will honor me as king, and I choose you. Acts 15.8, God who knows the heart showed he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Who here would not be here but for the judgment of the church? Who's here because of the judgment of Jesus Christ? It takes a treasure and puts it inside you, doesn't it? At minimum, $30 million dollars. At minimum, that's the, that's the low end. Jesus is setting the value of your heart. Jesus looks at them and says, have you understood all these things? And Jesus asked them, and they said, yes. Verse 52, he said, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, um, I just want to ask you right now, I don't care if you're a good disciple or a bad disciple, have you heard the word of God and are you trying to follow him? Raise your hand. Hear these words, they are for you. You are like the disciple of the kingdom of heaven who is an owner of a house who brings out of your storeroom the mercy seat of your heart, new treasures and old. New treasures and old. I want to break that down for you because it's so fantastic to me. To me, it's interesting that he led with new and then ended with old. Led with new, ended with old. There's a, there's a direction we're going. This world's ending. The crumbling kingdom of sin is ending. Get in the boat. Grace is dragging us to heaven. We're going to the new thing. Amen? And this is going to end. And local news is going to be totally different in the future. Totally different. There's going to be like great stories of squirrels on little, you know when you get a story of a squirrel on a little ski in the news, you just rejoice because the rest of it is just horrible. You're like, thank you, local news, for that little story. It's going to be all that. It's going to be all that. But the new treasure, but what are the old treasures? The old treasure is this. The eternal truth is Jesus chose you before he even laid the foundation of the earth. 
Now think about this. When Jesus dreams about you, what does he dream your life looking like? When Jesus dreams about grace being poured out into you, what does Jesus imagine? Does he, what is the kind of a crown? How beautiful is the crown of righteousness that Jesus is dreaming up for you right now? And we're wondering where Jesus is in all of this. And he's here daydreaming about what beautiful things he's gonna do from here to eternity. Look at Philippians 3.12. He says, not that I've already obtained this. I'm working toward this. There's, there's eternal truths and there's new truths and we haven't fully obtained it. I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold that what Jesus took hold of me. Um, I wanna just break it down for you in this. Look at the amplified version and I love it. I love it. I, but I actively press on so that I may take hold of the per perfection for which Jesus Christ took hold of me and made me his own. I'm going to ask you a question, and this really blew up my Devo for the whole week. I had a whole Devo plan, and I kept asking myself this question. Is Christ perfect? You can answer. Is Christ's love perfect? Is Christ's love perfect for me? Is it perfect for the guy with the earrings in his face? Is it perfect for the person that you makes bad life choices across the street that never mows their yard? Christ's love is perfect for them. Always lets their dog out, right, when I'm putting the garbage can out. I look them in the eye and I say, Christ's love is perfect. They don't know what I'm talking about, but it's done. Citizens live for their kingdom because for them it's everything. Citizens live for the kingdom of God because it's everything. And I just want to describe that for you. You can put that in one. This is how you can break that down for your heart and mind every day. When do we start living for eternity? I put the answer up so you can cheat. This is like an open book question. But when do you start living for eternity? The day that eternity came to your heart. The day that Jesus put a little piece of heaven inside of you. The kingdom of heaven has come to your heart so that the spirit of God can be made incarnate so that you could reestablish the kingdom of heaven in here, which is made of what? Blood and righteousness. We all have it. You are all disciples of the law and you all have ancient treasure and new treasure, treasure of hope, treasure of mercy, treasure of heaven that awaits. And that's the legacy that we bring into this room right now. And you go to like this, uh, well, I don't know what that looks like. I don't always, I can't be that judge. I can't be that person. Uh, good, good. Good that God didn't let me be the judge of my brother. Good that the, the, the deacon can get to be the final judgment of that kid. Good. But I will tell you this. This will throw you off. Um, not everything's as it seems. Jesus can pierce the heart and see the knacker of the pearl in your heart. I'm gonna give you one other did you guys know that Elvis Presley was not black-haired? What else is the Lord not telling us? The mysteries unravel. He's a platinum blonde. I didn't know that. I found that out today on the way here. I said, thank you, Lord, for that little nugget. The things you don't know about the people that you love. I love Elvis, just so you guys know. I'm a huge Elvis fan. I did not know he was a platinum blonde. How many people are in those rows next to you? How many people are in your life? How many people in your family? And God's saying, don't give up. Look at the pearl of their heart. Don't give up. Drag them to the church. Dragnet, dragnet. Hebrews 10, said this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed pure, pure with water. It's Jesus's blood. We have no idea what God has planned for us because we didn't even know while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, washing us. It's not good enough for those that are in this room and you're wondering if you're a good fish or a bad fish, because I did and I'm, I'm the one that worked on this sermon. Proximity to Jesus is not salvation. Being near the kingdom of God is not the same as being not just in the kingdom of God, but of the kingdom of God. I'll just paint that picture for you. Judas walked with Jesus. And I can see the prayer in my heart change as soon as that picture is painted for me. Let me be the one that always comes humbly accepting the gracious gift of your blood and righteousness. We're just regular people blessed by amazing king, given an amazing crown, clothed in amazing righteousness. But that grace is not Joey's grace. The oars didn't do anything. It's not the amazing grace of Joey. It's not by the grace of Joey. It's by the grace of God. 
This is the valuable legacy that will that has outlasted Rome. It's outlasted Germany, Hitler, all of it. Communism, it's outlasted. Everything that's tried to crush it has only grown to make it stronger. Why? Because that current, that dragnet is dragging us where? Up to heaven and to his grace. And one day, as Pastor Dave so expertly laid out, we will all be before the judgment seat. And the only thing you'll have is the blood and righteousness. So I just want to leave you with this last part of the verse, and then we'll close in this. Look at this, because I love how Jesus ends on a downer here. I love it. I like TV shows that go like real now. Listen to this. He goes, when Jesus had finished the parables, he moved on from there. And coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in the synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't those brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? When did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Part of the reason the parables and part of the reason the, the, uh, the story, these mini stories of grace blow people that are not into it away, that reject Jesus, is because it builds inside of them a deep conviction of what they're not. And that's not our job. Our job is not to tell them where they lack. Our job is to tell them what we have. And what we have is an amazing gift of God. Um, I'm going to put up this last slide, and I just want you to think about this, and we can pray and close on this. But I just think that's really, really fantastic for you to, um, to look at these words and pray this out to me. But I'm going to set a precedence. You guys put up the last slide for me. The moment that you accepted Jesus Christ, you realized that you became part of the kingdom of heaven. And you are going to leave here as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And if you're not sure and you don't have that blessed assurance of the kingdom of heaven that's been afforded to you, you come and see me after and make sure that you do and become one of the good fish. Did you know that catfish are bottom feeders? And the Jerusalem, Galilean, Tilapia feed on the green and lay in the sunshine. They shimmer in the water. The catfish are in the mud can't see anything but the muck. Don't know which way is really up. They only know which way is down. But the tilapia that we ate in, in the Sea of Galilee, shimmering in the, in the light. Some of the fishermen said crowned, crowned in glory. And I thought that was kind of cool. But you leave today here, not as a bottom feeder, but one that stands in the light. We need to humbly accept this. How many, I'm going to ask this, and I put it in my notes here, how many here know that Jesus Christ has been advancing his kingdom from the moment he stepped out of the tomb? The moment he stepped out of this tomb, 2,000 years later, we're still pronouncing the name of Jesus Christ. And the enemy's still trying to defeat him. And the enemy's still sowing tears. And we're still declaring the name of Jesus Christ. And I shouldn't be here. By all intents and purposes, I shouldn't be here. There's two guys that um, I grew up with. Two of them went to seminary. Two of them went on to be the next big thing in seminary. They're going to be this huge. One was going to be a missionary, and one was going to be an amazing pastor down in South Florida. We went to Christian private school together. Somebody wrote in my yearbook, and I wish I kept it because it'd be epic in youth group, most likely to overdose. I shouldn't be here right now. They looked at my heart, and they judged me, and they were probably on the surface right. But Jesus said, no, 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 that's not how I see it. Everybody saw them, gave up on me, left me alone. Those two guys are now bartenders. Look what I'm serving up. But by the salvation of Jesus Christ that was afforded me, I have the blessed assurance, and now I share it with you. I humbly accept this gift, and I boldly proclaim it. And um, I want to thank you. A lot of you guys are in here. Keep this slide up if you can, because we're going to pray out on this. But I want to I I thank you guys. There's a lot of you guys that don't realize how, how much of a walk that you have the same as the disciples. These disciples had to change their jobs and their careers. They lost friends and family. Some of them lost circles of friends. Some of them lost livelihood. Some of them lost comfort. Some of them lost all kinds of things. But as disciples, they have the treasures and the eternal truth of Jesus Christ and heaven inside of them. They are richer in faith, richer in mercy, richer in grace. But more importantly, I want to just paint this amazing picture as you open up your heart to Jesus Christ, as your king comes and sits on his throne of mercy.
Who's the rich one now? Us. The good fish in the dragnet. So I just want everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to close on this. I'm just going to put a bunch of prayers out. If you feel like you want to raise your hand, feel free to raise your hand. If you want to silently confess to the Lord, you want to silently confess to God. If you want to come up afterwards and pray a prayer with me and, and any of the prayer counselors, I'd love for you to do that. But more importantly, know this. Jesus already knows. Jesus is already working on your behalf. And Jesus is already loving you. Paying that price one time on the cross. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you and I praise you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords and you rule and reign. And when you say that I was saved, I am saved. And when you said I am redeemed, I am redeemed. And when you said I am restored, I am restored. You said let there be light and there was light. You said let Joey be restored and I was. Addiction to drugs, gone. Addiction to pornography, gone. Hatred, bitterness, gone. All because you said so with a word. And with those same words, you restored me. I now give you my breath and praise. When I get to heaven, Lord, and I know this church is the same way, we will not let the rocks cry out and steal our praise. You are worthy to be praised. And if you're in this room right now and you have been uh, short with your praise of the Lord, you just go ahead and call on the Lord right now and say, please forgive me, I'm, I'm opening up my heart. And if you've not allowed the king to sit on the throne of mercy in your heart, you just confess that right now. And you say, Lord, I'm opening up my heart. Please forgive me the throne of mercy. Please come sit on it. I confess my sins before you. If you've been in this room and you've been judgmental or you've even been judged and you have church hurts, call on the God who heals all. Lord, I thank you and I praise you that grace and mercy is pouring into this room like a flood like an avalanche, wiping out sins, wiping out past hurts, wiping out failures. We are rich in mercy. We are rich in grace. And that leads us to this. We are rich in the crown of righteousness that you've placed upon our head. It is not ours. It is yours to give. And by that spiritual authority, we accept. And Lord, I thank you and I praise you that we do right now pray to the God that has never left us and never forsaken us and thank him for his walk of mercy with us from here to eternity. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 1045 a.m., and Wednesdays at 630 p.m.